Welcome to OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker tonight, Sandy. Hi, I'm Sandy, compulsive reader. Hi, Sandy. Ah, what a drive. I came from Santa Clarita down here. I should have taken a plane. Um, uh, to qualify, I have, in December, I will take a candle for 26 years of absence. I came in here weighing 165, and I now weigh 130. But th- the thing is, I have 90 pounds of muscle in this little body. <laughs> and that makes a big difference in weight. I always bring that in, the 90 pounds of muscle. Um, it's, a, it's good. I only see a couple people I know in here, so you haven't all heard my pitch, which is very good. Um, like all of you, I have I've had a problem, still do, with compulsive reading. I grew up in, an, in a home that was very, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, not a very nice place to grow up. Uh, I was beaten by my mother from a young age. I was very close to my father, which was part of the cause of why my mom didn't like me, because she was jealous. I I mean, I remember dropping some milk on the floor from a carton, and she took a pan out and hit me over the head. That's what my childhood was like. I started eating at a very young age, because that was the only thing that made me feel good. I would sneak food into my bedroom. But then my mom would find the crumbs, and I'd get in trouble. I remember my grandfather would pull up on Sunday mornings with his Cadillac. I, I, I was born in St. Louis, and um, he worked at what was called um, May Company. Wait, not May Company. Famous and Bar, which is like May Company out here. And he would fill his trunk up with food. I mean, I can still remember the heavenly hash, the gumballs. The cigarettes that you could blow smoke out of, those, those ones, you know. Um, um, I mean, all kinds of food in there. The kind of, the corn that was on the string of the paper, they used to pull off. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> oh, good, yeah, yeah. Just to let you know, I'm going to be 65 years old, so these are things I remember. So, I, um, I would get all that candy and I would try to hide it, but my mom would find it and she would take it away from me. So the, really the only time I got to eat was when I went over to my grandparents' house and they would let me eat anything I wanted to, or when I got older riding my bike to the grocery store or drugstore, and I would steal food. I would steal anything I could, and I'd eat it before I got home. Hostess Twinkies used to be my favorite because I would suck the whipped cream out of the center, and then I'd go back in for another one and suck the whipped cream out of the center. Boy, those were good. But I would eat it before I got home, and then I'd sit down and have a full dinner. And I was never full. I was never full. It was very hard. I just didn't know how to live, you know, as I was growing up. I got blamed for everything. I have two other sisters. I'm the oldest. I was blamed. Whatever my father did, I got blamed for. My mom would tell him to spank me, and my dad was so cool. He'd say, okay, now cry while I hit this book. Uh-huh. And so I would cry. 
<laughs> you know. And that's, I was very, very close to my father. Very close. In fact, I'm, people, my family that saw me about five years ago said I'm a spitting image of my dad. Um, but as I grew up, I still kept on eating. I didn't know how to stop eating. I didn't know how to quit. I didn't know that you're not supposed to eat 24 hours a day. That you're supposed to give yourself a break. That when your stomach hurts, stop eating. Don't keep on eating. I ate until my stomach hurt so bad, and I still kept on eating, thinking there's more room. There's plenty of more room. I never threw up, never did anything else. I just overate. And there's some pictures going around that you could see. They're not real sharp, but you can see where I was um, with my weight. During, like, uh, elementary school, junior high school, I was okay. I wasn't really heavy. But when I got into high school, I started putting on the weight. And then I went to, I went on every diet. I had shots. I had uh, pills. I remember taking an upper. Now, I'm hyper. I only need a couple hours of sleep, as it is, at my age still. And try taking a, high, a, a pill when you're already hyper. Oh, my God. I buzzed for days. One cup of coffee, if I had caffeine, would keep me up for two full days and maybe longer. I mean, that's how hyper I am. So I, I just was like a crazy person. And then I lost weight, and then I was told I was too thin. I gained weight. So don't tell, don't tell a compulsive reader to gain weight because you don't stop after you do that. So as I got older and older and older, I kept on eating. And then in my senior year of high school, my father had a nervous breakdown and came out to California. And I got blamed for my father's nervous breakdown. I was sent to a psychiatrist. I was told it was my fault. And we packed up in my senior year and moved out here. My grandparents had offered me to stay there. And my mother said no so I could graduate with all my friends. So, of course, I come out here, I go, I move to Woodland Hills, and I go to Taft High School. Well, in 1965, Taft was the snobbiest school, all Jewish, and I, you know, I came from a Jewish home. But when I walked in there, it was like nobody wanted to talk to new, new people. It was awful. So, of course, I didn't get to go to grad night. I didn't get to go to the prom. I didn't make any friends. And I had tons of friends back home. I mean, tons of friends. They used to come over every Friday night, and we'd make food and sit around and just have a good time, boys and girls. I mean, all of us. Everybody was invited. The front door was open to all of our friends. And to come out here to a life where you're all of a sudden all by yourself, talk about eating. I went gung-ho on eating. I Sugar, let me have all the sugar I could eat. And, of course, I get a job at Baskin-Robbins. <laughs> I mean, it, it couldn't be any more perfect for a compulsive overeater. You know, if you went into the one in Tarzana, if you went, had pink bubble gum, the bubble gum was gone. If you had Jamocha almond fudge, the almonds were gone. I mean, I had a blast at Baskin-Robbins. You know, and I worked there for four years. I even waited on Tim Conway every time he came in. Um, and then I got a job at Taco Pronto. I got fired from Taco Pronto. Because I ate all the food. But then the best job I ever had was, I got something where I could eat everything. 
I got a job at Thrifty Drugstore. There was ice cream. There was food. There was chips. There was candy. There was gum. I could eat anything. I never had to worry about food. So on my breaks all day long, I would steal. I would steal from there where I was working and put it in my pocket and just reach in my hand and eat it. Why I worked all day. Then I went to, um, I went to college. That's where I made all my friends. And I still ate, even though I was very active in sports. I competed in volleyball, baseball, softball, badminton. I mean, you name it, I was competing in it. And, of course, we always went out to eat. And I ate. You know, I'm, thank God I didn't get into drugs. I didn't get into alcohol. Because everything I drank and I got drunk on, I stopped drinking. So, you know, after you go through everything, who, there's nothing there to drink. But I really just didn't like it. And I just kept on eating and eating. And then being up all night studying, up till 3 or 4 in the morning, I had a pile of food next to me to keep me going all night. Because you hardly slept. And I just kept doing that to where I gained a ton of weight. But before that, I forgot to say that when I turned 21, I walked in the house one day. And when I walked into the door, my mom slapped me across the face at 21 for something I don't even remember doing. I packed my bags that night. They didn't know it. And I snuck out of the house and moved out with some friends. My dad did everything to find me. And a couple times before that, I ran away, but he always found me. So I moved out. I was on my own. And what a joy being on your own and being a compulsive overeater. I can now eat anything I wanted. I didn't have my mother counting the pickles in the jar. I didn't have anybody watching over me. And I was the cook. So I made stuffed monocotti from scratch. I made spaghetti. I made, I mean, I can remember everything I made. Is that a compulsive overeater? Yeah. Um, And I would make tons of it. So we had plenty to eat. And I did that for years. And I I gained, I got up in weight, and I really started not liking myself. I had gone to therapy uh, because I ended up having anxiety attacks and depression. And the anxiety attacks, I became agoraphobic, where all I could do was drive to work and come home. I could not do anything else, nothing else. I could not walk out of the door to go anyplace else, only in my car and go to work. And through therapy, and my therapist was great working with me, and yes, being on medication, and this was in my 30s, um, I got back to my life of overeating. So I kept overeating, and I was in and out of relationships, you know, four years here, four years here, four years here. Um, I even had, when I moved out here, boyfriends came one from Maryland, from St. Louis, everything else, just came out to here to see me. And for some reason, I just, I didn't want to see anybody because I was so unhappy. And um, then I felt really lonely. So I moved out. I got friends. I started hanging around with my friends. I, the sports helped me. And then I started really heavy duty into therapy. And I went to, I got hooked up, I was in a relationship where my partner was an alcoholic, and I really didn't know it. So I went to Al-Anon. 
and why I was in Al-Anon for four years, and it really helped. And then I ran into a friend of mine at a party four years later, and she looked great. And I said, oh, my God, Linda, you look wonderful. What would you do? And she goes, I go to OA. And I said, OA? She goes, yeah, over years anonymous. And I said, tell me about it. And she told me about it. Well, at this point, I started hitting myself in the stomach, banging my head against the wall, started punching myself, slapping myself. I started beating myself up constantly. And I mean, I had some punches. I could really hurt myself. All I wanted to do was die. I did not want to live anymore. I was tired of feeling the way I felt. I could not go on anymore. I couldn't face getting up in the morning. I couldn't face the fears. Even in, even in you know, therapy. So, one night, I, um, I was in a new relationship. And she was gone. And I was sitting at, at the refrigerator. I was sitting on the floor. And I opened up the refrigerator. Started eating every single thing in the refrigerator. And when I tell you every single thing, shelf by shelf by shelf went into my mouth. I got up, walked over to the drawers, pulled out a black knife, that long, handled on here, and said, that's it. I'm going to end my life because I cannot handle this anymore. And you know how they say there are miracles in this program? All of a sudden, two letters came into my head. OA. And I just kind of stopped. And I went to the phone. Now, I was crying. I was in tears by this time. And I went to the phone and dialed, um, got the phone number for San Fernando Valley. And that night at 8 o'clock was a candlelight meeting. I drove my car to that candlelight meeting, sat in the back of the room, and I listened to everybody pitch. By the time that meeting was over, I was bawling my eyes out and going, oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one that feels this way. It was such a relief to hear other people feel what I felt going through what I was going through, that I wasn't the only one in the world that was totally insane. I became abstinent that night at that meeting. I gave up sugar. I went to a meeting every single day after that. I got a sponsor. I worked with my sponsor. I went through uh, part of the steps with her, and then I changed sponsors. I, I'm not a quick learner. Um, I'm kind of ADD, where it's very hard for me to focus on one thing. My head will go because of being hyper, and I could put 10,000 things in my head. At work, I could be working on 10 projects and maybe not finish them all until the end of the day because I'm bouncing back and forth this project. Oh, i got to do this. Oh, i got to do that. And that's how my brain works. So when it came to reading, I had a very difficult time. I could read a paragraph over five times and not tell you what the paragraphs are. And, you know, for me, it made me feel kind of rotten. My, my um, what's the word I want to say? I didn't feel good about myself. I felt like a dumb, dumb person. I finally got another sponsor, and I went through the steps. And at that time, I was also working my program through APOR, which was part of OA. 
that is very strict. They, um, you're not allowed to speak for the first 30 days. They gave you paperwork. It was mainly writing, not speaking. And I did a lot of my stuff through APOR. And it really helped me to write down uh, these questions that were asked and what to, you know, you read something, you wrote on it. You read something, you wrote on it. And I did my fourth step through that. And my fifth step, sixth step, all the way through. And when I got done, I told my sponsor things I have never told anybody in my life. No one. My sponsor was was like my mom. Was like my guardian angel. I could trust her with everything that I said. And I remember when we burnt my fourth step. It was like, whoa. It was like a relief, like this, this, all these bricks came off my shoulders. And what a relief to feel freedom. It was like, oh my God, I did this. I worked this. I did this. Now, what else do I need to do? You know, you go through your character defects and everything else. My life changed so much. I used to be a bee. I'm not allowed to swear, sorry. B-I-T-C-H, I didn't say it. Okay, so there. Um, but it was, I was awful. I was awful to people. I felt because I was heavy and everything else, I should be the center of attention. Everything was about me. I was selfish. Very selfish. And I had to learn through the steps how to let go how to be a better person, what to give up, what to keep, how to get there. And I would talk to my sponsor all the time. I called in my food, even to this day. I call in my food every single day. If I change, I text or call in my food. Because I have acid reflux, and sometimes when I feel like eating, when I go to touch it, I don't want it. Just my stomach just goes in a knot. So I have to be very careful. The first eight years being in this program, I was eating. I mean, I called in my food. And I would call in like, I'm having beef. But I never said that I'm having like the largest T-bone steak you could find. (laughs) Or the baked potato was the size of a football. And I loved, I, I always... My story is always the same, so I'm sorry, you know, if you listen to it on podcast and listen to it again. But this one lady really got to me. She was pitching, and she goes, you know, I called in two pieces of chicken. But I never told my sponsor it was a chicken I cut in half. <laughs> we can make up things all the time. That's what our head does. We can say we're eating this, but do we really, are we really honest? Do we really say, I'm eating this much? No, I never did. So God worked his miracles on me, and I became a type 1 diabetic at the age of 47, which the doctors say is so rare for someone at my age to be type 1. I'm on a pump the rest of my life. So when they tell me you could die because of liver, pancreas, kidney, heart, you could lose your toes, your feet, All this kind of stuff. They said, you have a choice. What do you want to do? So I met with a nutritionist. 
and I did everything the nutritionist told me to do. I went down to 119 pounds. That was the first time I heard my doctor and everybody say, you've got to gain weight because you are just too thin. You could see my bones and everything else. And it was just, they didn't like that. Plus, I was working out. So what I did was I just put in some foods. But what I gave up was, I gave up, right now, I eat no white flour, no starchy carbs. My carbs are like if I eat squash or soy crisps, you know, things like that. I eat no uh, bread, no flour, no sugar. My basic meal is fruit, protein, and vegetables. That is it. And I stick to that no matter what. I went to New Zealand. I t- we called the tour company. They made sure that wherever I went, there was food for me. Even the chefs came up and said at the, bank- at the buffets, this is what's in this and this and this. Do you want us to make you something if there's not something here? I went to Rome, brought a lot of my own food. Same thing there. The, the hotel we were staying at, there was a restaurant. They knew what to make me every single night. And try eating in Rome where there's not a lot of salads, not a lot of vegetables. It's all pasta. Everything you get is pasta and bread. You know, it was like, oh, God, I'm going to die eating chicken every single night. But I did it. So no matter where I go, I bring my food. Even if I go to dinner with you to a restaurant, I will bring my food. I'll bring my own salad dressing. I'll bring everything. I will not lose my abstinence. No matter what. I will not take that first bite. Because that first bite will lead me into more bites. I am not willing to do that after 25 and a half years. I like my body. You know? I like who I am now. I like that I have a life that I never, ever thought I would have. I have a great job. I work at at Sony. And... Um, the company I was with pulled out, and Sony asked me to stay on. I've been there 15 years. And the compliments I get are just wonderful. I would never get compliments before. If you were a client and I didn't like you, you knew it. <laughs> you knew it. You know, and here I, I get emails. I email my boss so they can see, you know, what I'm getting. And my boss emails back, great, you know, we already know this. And, you know, <laughs> Kind of stuff. And, you know, that's different than what I was like. It's so different. And I'm always with a smile on my face. I don't stress over anything. If it's not important, it goes in this ear and right out the other. I don't hold on to anything. I can't afford to have the stress. I don't want the knot in the stomach. I don't want us to get so uptight that I can't function. The only time I get stressed is when I do something stupid. And then I have to sit down and pray. Every morning when I get up, I live in Santa Clarita, and the hill comes down like this, and I live up in the canyons. So the view I have is unbelievable. I stop my car. I say the serenity prayer. I talk to God, and I look right up at the sky and all the hills and everything else and the trees. And I talk to God and and tell God, thank you for everything. I'm grateful for everything you have given me in my life. I could have never gotten here without your help. Help me down the road, the path today. And I say, whatever. Even my bracelet says, whatever. I have no control over what's going to happen to me. 
I don't want any control because control got me in trouble. So whatever got put in my path, I just have to learn how to deal with it. And you know what? It works. It works. It's letting go. Letting go and let God. It's not holding on thinking you know it all. We come in this room, we go, I know it all. I know how to do this. I know how I can lose weight. I know. And those that I know end up relapsing and coming back. Until they hit such a bottom that they finally come in here and go, I give up. And I've seen that happen to people even in 20 years. That happens to them. You know? I am very spiritual, which I wasn't. Um, I went to temple. I was religious when I lived in St. Louis. And then we moved out here. And our first holiday was at a, a Catholic church. Well, my parents kind of just blew it because we're so used to going to Temple of Shul. So stopped doing the holidays. And when I got into program, I found a 12-step temple that I go to for all holidays and Shabbat. And in there, every kind of program, those people are in that temple. When it's Rosh Hashanah, there is a 12-step um, gratitude meeting. People come from all over. It's like 200 people come to this meeting and tell what they're grateful for. Now, you tell me where you can go and have that kind of recovery with people like that. It is amazing. When they talk at the temple, they talk down to earth so you understand everything they're saying. Even the music director, he's a very well-known music director, he takes the prayers from 12 Steps and puts them to music. Unbelievable. You walk in there and you just feel like I'm at home. And you know everybody in there when you walk in. You just go waving, hi, how are you? Hi, hi, hi. And where else could you be more comfortable? In a place where God is. You know, it's wonderful. Um, God is always with me. I know that God is standing right next to me. God's putting the words in my mouth now. I look up in the sky all the time. And especially I look up at the sun because I want to get energy. So what I do is I always pretend like God is the sun. And I'll look up there and take a deep breath and inhale it in. And I say to myself, okay, God, thank you. And get my energy from that. So my spirituality is great. My physical is wonderful. I'm going to be 65 years old in January, and I could deadlift 80 pounds. I want to show you. I don't know if you can see my muscles. I mean, come on. It's going to be 65, you know? Like, hey. I may be shrinking. I may be small, but I am mighty. Um, but you know what? That is great. I get in there, and even the guys at the gym... What are you doing today? Huh? Are you gonna, what do you know? And, you know, and I do Zumba. I do everything. I love it. You know, it makes me feel good with the weight loss and, and making my body feel good. And having diabetes, I want to stay healthy. And my last blood test for a whole bunch of stuff, my doctor said, you are so healthy. You're one of the healthiest people. I really would like you to speak to some other diabetics in my practice. And I've done that with other doctors before, people that have been diabetic and overweight. And one guy lost quite a bit of weight. And I was really proud of him. So um, there's that mental. Thank God my head doesn't drive me insane anymore. 
I can't say I'm perfect. I'm close, but I'm not perfect. I keep trying to take those steps by fall sometimes. But my head doesn't do the craziness. It doesn't talk to me like it did before, which is such a miracle. I mean, a real miracle. Another thing is, I don't think about eating anymore. And you may say, oh, yes, you do. No, I don't. On the weekends, I've had two meals. I'm supposed to eat six times a day. I've only had two meals. I'm not hungry. I don't think about eating. And I don't care if I eat. When my blood sugar crashes, when I crash, then I'll go grab something. But it's, I don't, I don't have the cravings. I could go out with people. They could have cake. They can have ice cream. They can have all this food. And it doesn't bother me in the least. Not at all. I mean, the only thing that I eat that's sugar-free is my sugar-free popsicles. That's the extent. I don't eat cakes, cookies, anything like that that's sugar-free. Because when I started the program, I don't know if you remember Manny's Bakery, but I used to go get sugar-free muffins. And I started eating one every single day or twice a day. Well, I became addicted to those. So I said, you know what? Not worth it. Not worth it. I don't need the sweets to, even though they're sugar-free, to keep me going. So I gave up all of that. And you know what? Letting go of this food, I don't care. I don't care what everybody else eats. I just care about how am I going to do. What do I do next? What step do I need to take next? You know, right now I'm doing my steps all over again with my sponsor. Started all over again. I also sponsor. I also give service. I was the chairperson of San Fernando Valley for four years. You know, I also did the inner group. I also, I mean, I still do. I'm doing a dance. Uh, Mark and Keller, there's November 3rd. There's a dance in the valley that's really good. That We have DJs and entertainment. Um, but I do fundraisers. I still help. Service is its own reward, and i got to tell you it is. When you give service and you walk away seeing that it helped a lot of people, then you go, you know what, this, the, program, the program gave to me all these, these 25 years. It gave to me things I couldn't get. If it wasn't for this program, I wouldn't be here. So I'm willing to give back to the program and do what I can do to help, the, you know, or Readers Anonymous. Outreach calls. I love outreach calls. I take them any time of the day. I get them any time of the day. I get them from 6.30 in the morning all the way up sometimes to 12 o'clock at night. And I answer every one of the calls and talk to people. I feel there are people out there that need help, and they wouldn't have called me if they didn't need the help. And I know when I needed to make outreach calls, there were people there for me. We have to work this program to get healthy. If we don't work all aspects of this program, then we're not doing we're not doing the things we need to do to become clear, to become strong, to become a person that's happy, a person that can go out in the world and hold their head up. A person who likes their body. I have to say, I have one problem in my body is my stomach, because when I lost all my weight, it all went down here. And you know, I'm becoming a midget, so I'm shrinking. 
So the more I shrink, the more comes down here. So, um, you know, my mom was 4'11 when she passed away, and I'm 5 feet. I used to be 5'1", so I can't wait to see what I'm going to do in the next couple years. Um, I keep asking if there's a way to stretch me out, and I even got one of those tables that stretch upside down. Made me sick. I couldn't do it. Um, but you know what? My stomach's the only thing I don't like. But you know what? That's okay. And yet, my, if you punch my stomach, I'm solid. You know, and it's like, okay, fine. I have to live with this. One thing wrong with me is not going to kill me. So I will never leave this program. One thing I, I was talking to some friends and I said, if I knew I was going to die from some disease, would I go out and eat Ben and Jerry's? Things I never tasted before. Ever. And I said, my luck, I would. And then they come up for a cure and I'd have to start my absence all over again. <laughs> you know, so, no, I wouldn't eat anything. You know, this program is so important to me. This program is my life. I could not be where I am, get where I am, give what I can, or do what I can do without this program. I have to say there's times when I get angry. But I don't do the things I did before. I don't stomp around and slam doors. I get angry, I sit down, and I think about what do I need to do. I'm the first to make amends when I have to make amends. When I know I do wrong, there's an amends right away. And all of you who are here, I don't care if you're new, old, or whatever, you know what to do in this program. If there's things you're not doing now, start doing them. Start working the program to its fullest. Because doing it piece by piece doesn't work. It doesn't work. You have to do the whole thing. You know, it's like having cancer and have to do chemo and radiation to do the whole thing. Well, in here, you have to work the steps. You have to be willing. You have to let go. You have to do all of that. And if there's anything you're not doing, if you're not doing your abstinence, start talking to someone. Find out why you're not working and doing your abstinence. If you're not writing, talk to someone. Find out what's holding you back from writing or reading or going to meetings when you need to go to meetings. You have to move and walk in this program. You have to take those steps. And when you do... You will feel so different. You will feel like a new person. You will f have freedom and serenity like you never had before. And I'm one to say, I have that. So thank you. Okay, are there any questions? Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about how the steps helped you with your mother? How did I feel? How did I work the steps by dealing with my mom? Well, thank God I had the steps. My father passed away at 59, and I was the only one close to my mom at that time, close in location. So I had to end up taking care of my mom, which was hard. But I learned to just. It was something I had to do. And luckily, my partner um, used to be a nun. So she had the calmness 
and the serenity and knows what to do. So she would talk to me along with my steps of letting go and learning how to accept my mom for who she is. That she did the best she could for me. You know, they tell you that everybody does the best they can. You can't change people unless they're willing to change. And I remember I I let go and I did everything I could for my mom. My mom found out she had pancreatic cancer and she had two months to live. Because of the steps, of working all the steps and letting God take over, I got to sit on the edge of the bed and um, sorry this is hard and I got to ask her why she did the things she did to me and she apologized she told me she loved me and that she was sorry for everything I am so glad I got to do that because I would not have done that without this program. I now am the only one that goes to the cemetery and sees my mom and dad and talks to them or look up in the sky when something's going good or bad and say, hi, mom and dad, are you watching over me? I wish they were alive now to see how I've turned out. My relatives, I went back to St. Louis for the first time in 42 years. They thought I'd be in jail or I'd be dead. They were amazed when they saw me. And I got to learn about a lot about my mom and dad. What my mom went through. Her mom died when she was very young. She was put, taken home to home. My father was a hero in the war, but he suffered from, I forgot what it's called, post-mortem. And really was weak. And that's why he went through his stuff. And when I learned all that, I said, I wish I would have known that sooner. I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. So thank God for this program. Um, The question was, do I spend a lot of time in serenity and helping other people? Okay, no. I try to meditate. I really do. And I... Friends have helped me. I used to go to meditation on on Saturday mornings at the Darby office, and it worked. I would come down, and somebody has given me podcasts that I have to start doing. And I've gone, since I I moved, my backyard is, you overlook the whole valley. And I've sat in the chair and just sat out there and just kind of meditated because I'm in God's country. And yes, I do go to certain meetings where there's a lot of recovery. But I also like to hear newcomers. Because I remind, it tells me where I was before and I don't want to go back there. I mean, a lot of the people I hang around with have 20 years or more. And, and I enjoy being around them. I enjoy hearing what they have to say. I enjoy hearing what everybody says. You know? And yes, I have these certain meetings that I go to where there's a lot of recovery. I mainly go to book study meetings because I really need to get into the reading because since I have such a hard time it's easier for me to go to a meeting where we read a paragraph and then we talk about it um, and I go to uh, one uh, sharing one share meeting and um, you know 
I'm friendly to everybody. I don't care who you are. You know, it's principles before personalities. I may not like you full-heartedly, but you know what? I like you. You may not be my best friend in program, but I like you. And if you need help, I'm there. Is that okay? What do I do to accept my body? Quickly. It took a while. But then I look at my fat pictures. And I see where I was. And I look at myself now. And I go, what a difference. Also, my sponsor used to have me take off all my clothes and stand in front of the mirror and put my arms around myself and tell myself how much I love my body. And how much I loved the way I was. And I used to walk by Bolo Park all the time because I lived right there. So I know which time. And I, that's how I learned. I mean, there's days when I put on certain clothes that I feel, ooh. There's days when I don't feel it. I just, I had to accept. I had to just say, you know what? I love myself the way I am. And this is the way I'm going to be unless I go have surgery, which I'm not planning on doing. So I can talk to you after the meeting later. Thank you very much.